Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you. Here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, here it is, Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Gary Hill back with you. Thanks for being here. This is a full podcast today. We have a lot to talk about. And, of course, big news for the Mariners, obviously, coming down. Jerry DePoto now the general manager for the Seattle Mariners. We're going to have a little on that today. We're going to hear Lloyd McClendon in a couple of minutes talk about Jared Apoto as the general manager. We're going to have a lot coming up tomorrow, including some audio from the new Mariners general manager. So tomorrow we'll dive into that pretty heavy. Today, well, we have a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the game last night as the Mariners fall to the Astros in game one of the three-game series. Another close one. And another game the Mariners can't get. Uh, We'll hear uh, the audio, the highlights from that in just a second. We're also going to talk about what happened over the weekend, including one of the greatest catches we've ever seen with Mike Trout. So we'll hear from Mike Trout, and we'll kick that around. Also, bullpen banter on the way. Mike Blowers is going to talk about this race and where the Houston Astros fit in with Aaron Goldsmith. So a lot coming on this podcast. But let's get to last night. The Mariners in game one of a three-game series against the Houston Astros. And, of course, a ton on the line for Houston, just barely gripping the second wild-card spot. This was a giant and enormous game for the Astros. All three of these games are going to be big for Houston. And Ruenos Elias on the hill for the Mariners, a shaky start. He gave up. A couple of runs in the first inning to Houston, but then really settled down and pitched well. The 1-2, there goes Marisnik, swing and a miss. Here's a throw down to second base, the tag from Cano, and it's a strike him out, throw him out. Marisnik cut down at second base, Altuve strikes out swinging, and all of a sudden, two outs with the bases clean. So Elias able to hang zeros on the board in the second, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. And then in the sixth as well, he ends up going six innings, gives up just three hits and two runs, a nice bounce back 
on 100 pitches and fans five along the way. Just a couple of solo home runs. That was the difference for Elias. But in the sixth inning, the Mariners tie things up. McCullers 3-1 pitch. Swing and a missile high to right field. It's got a lot of carry. It's up and it is gone. Marte with the solo homer to begin things in the bottom of the sixth inning. And this game is all tied up. Number two of the season and the career of Marte were even a two apiece. So Marte going yard again. Remember, over the weekend, Marte hit his first major league home run. Into the wind, here's the pitch to Marte. Swung on and cracked. Deep to left field. This is back. It is gone over the bullpens, into the crowd, out of here. The first Major League home run for Cattell Marte. And he's given the Mariners a 2-1 to lead. So Cattell Marte played a little long ball, hitting a couple home runs within his last three ball games, and he tied it up at that point. But the Astros... Well, they would hit another monster home run in the seventh inning, and this one would decide things. The first pitch. He swings and tees off. This is crushed to the pole and left. Is it fair? It is fair and gone. Upper deck, left field. Chris Carter wasting no time. He has given the Astros a 3-2 lead in the top of the seventh. And they would hold that 3-2 lead. The Astros win game one of the series Three to two over the Mariners. Teams will go at it again tonight. 7-10 first pitch from Safeco Field. Mike Fires against Fidel Nuno will go at it tonight against 7-10 first pitch from Safeco Field game two of the series. And another big one for the Astros as they continue to cling to the wild card spot. You look at the standings right now, still holding a half game edge over the Angels. All of a sudden, the Astros have won three in a row. The Angels have won six in a row, still half game back. And the Twins, they've won three in a row. They're a game and a half back. Cleveland, they've fallen off the pace now, five back. And Baltimore, they're six and a half back of the Houston Astros right now. So, really, it's about a three-team race right now. Astros, Angels, Twins to find, uh, try and find and grab that last wild card spot. So, again, another big one tonight. Mariners against the Astros from Safeco Field. Now, the news, obviously, from yesterday, Jared Apoto named general manager for the Seattle Mariners. Here's what Lloyd McClendon had to say, his immediate reaction to Jared Apoto being named general manager. Jerry Depoto, the former GM of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, will be the new GM of the uh, Seattle Mariners, replacing Jack Zarensic, and I understand that you had a chance to sit down and visit with uh, Jerry a little bit a while ago to talk about some things. How did that conversation go with the Mariners' new GM? Well, I thought it went outstanding. I, you know, obviously, uh, Jerry's a very uh, innovative, forward-thinking, uh, intelligent uh, uh, baseball man and, and full of energy. I, I thought we clicked right away. Uh, we had a great conversation, uh, and I look forward to working with him. That was my next question, a chance to talk about your future here with this organization as well. You, I thought, and I think you've done a great job with this ball club the last two years. Well, you know, the one thing I told Jerry, and I, and I, I meant this sincerely, I, I, I love uh, Seattle, I love this city, I love the fans, uh, and I love working for this organization, but the fact is Jerry has to be comfortable with me. Uh, and if he's not comfortable with me, then I, I shouldn't be his, his manager. And I, I think we hit it off pretty good. I, I thought it was uh, 
uh, very natural right from the start. Uh, you know, listen, this is a guy that played the game. He understands the game and, and certainly understands uh, what I go through on a daily basis, and I thought it was pretty darn good. So you're going to find out quite a bit about one another here in the next uh, six days to the end of the regular season. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's going to be uh, – uh, obviously, we're, we're going to lean on each other quite a bit. <laughs> you know, it's been kind of tough, you know, the last couple of months, you know, operating without a head, so to speak. And um, it, it's nice to have this in place. And it's nice to have a, a, a good, solid baseball man like Jerry DePoto in place. Well, great. You guys had a chance to visit uh, earlier today, Jerry DePoto and the new GM of the ball club. Okay, let's talk about your ball club. Only six games left in the regular season, Skip. What do you want to see from your team over the final six games? Well, you know, things haven't changed for us, and this is a meeting that we've had and our players have bought into it. You know, our job is to go out and win every game that we possibly can, try to win today's game. Uh, tomorrow will take care of itself. And, and to that end, I, I think my players have given me everything they got. Now, some days it hasn't been, it hasn't been good enough, but the effort has been there. Uh, the players have bought into it. They go out, they play hard. Uh, we make mistakes like most other teams. Uh, some days is good enough, other days it's not good enough. There it is. That's the skipper. And again, we're going to have a lot more coming up on the podcast tomorrow with the new Mariners general manager. Right now, though, we're going to hand things over to Mike Blowers, Aaron Goldsmith. We talked about this race is so tight right now, and they're going to talk about it right now. Boy, Mike, we are down to the final week of the regular season. Final week. This is the last road game for the Mariners this year. Yep. And uh, the second to last Sunday of the season for the Mariners, the regular season. So let's take a look at the three teams that are right now uh, they are in line to duke things out in the final seven days of the season for that second wild card. The Astros, who currently hold it, but by a half a game. The Angels, who we'll see again today, and then the Twins. The one thing that I think is going to impact this maybe more than anything is the fact that the Astros, who lead it by a half game over the Angels, they finish on the road at a National League ballpark. Yeah. Big Gaddis, the caveman. What do you do? He's played a, a, about ten games in left field this year. Yeah, I think I, I think that you have to play him. He's in the middle of your lineup. Leads that team, and I, I, I think you play him. And in the sixth inning, if you have a lead, you make a defensive switch and you move mm-hmm. forward that way. I think you have to. And if not, if you don't play him, you know that he's ready. If there's a RBI chance, two in scoring position, whatever it might be, that's the first guy off your bench to take a hack. Yeah, I mean, it's something that Mariner fans are familiar with for years that we had to deal with that situation with Edgar. And we, we couldn't put him in the field because we didn't want to risk him getting hurt. But we knew that 7th, 8th, ninth inning, we had one of the best hitters in baseball waiting on the bench for us. So A.J. Hinch tells this great story about Gaddis early in the season against the Padres. They were at Petco, and Gaddis was in left field. First inning, Gaddis hits a home run to just straightaway center field. He comes into the dugout, gives high fives, and, and Hinch goes, all right, all right, Gaddis, uh, Evan, you're done. You're done for the day. First inning. <laughs> Gaddis believed him and starts walking. Man, I'm, am I really done? I can't believe it. And, uh, well, it left him in there. But it, right. that, that could definitely happen. Uh, the Twins, the Angels, Angels have three against the A's after this and then four in yeah. Arlington. That's going to be a huge series. That's going to be a huge series. I, I mean, and, and you know, if, if you look at the clubs in, in – I'm going to assume that Texas is going to find a way to stay in there and win the West. Yeah. So if you look at the different clubs, though, you have Houston, 
young ball club, finishing National League ballpark. Gaddis may not be able to make an impact on those on those three games in Arizona. You look at the Angels now. They've lost their setup man, and now they're closer. That's huge. Joe Smith out. Houston Street last night out. Uh, you know, and it's, so it's bullpen by committee to finish up games. Minnesota, it'll be interesting to watch them because they have Cleveland, and Cleveland's three games back. Right. And they could strike out 10 every And I think night. that's a four-game series. It is. Yeah. So, you know. It, in Cleveland. In Cleveland. And so Cleveland, what if Cleveland goes in there and they win four games? Sweep them. They're, it's certainly possible. Sure. It, it's going to be interesting. But this thing isn't going to be decided until the very end, I don't think. And then the Twins will finish at home but against the Royals. And that kind of always, you wonder, that, that kind of brings in the question of the integrity of the game. Uh, if you're the Royals, you've clinched it. You want to keep guys... Uh, you want to have a little bit of momentum going into the postseason. But your last three games of the year, what do you do? Having come from Kansas City, you look at um, having home field mm-hmm. throughout. It sounded to me that it was more important to Toronto to have that than it was to Kansas City. So if I'm if I'm Ned Yost and I'm Kansas City, I'm setting my team up for the playoffs. Everybody else worry about yourselves at that point. You know, you've, you've had 159 games to figure it out. It's not up to me and my ball club. Um, I need to get my team ready for the playoffs, and I think that's probably what's going to happen. Safe to say the second wild card has been an incredible addition by the it's league. It's been a huge success. It's been terrific. It's been outstanding. And, and, and uh, you know, it's funny how it works. Though. When, when the first wild card was first talked about and then they finally put it in, I was not a fan of it really? at all. No. Oh, it's, you know, I, I played the game, and this right. is the way you play it, and it, why change it? But that turned out to be great, and this is – just as good. I think it may be even better because you still have all these teams um, going at it now. You know, the National League this year is just bizarre. You, you look at the Central. The Central's and insane. It is insane. And so, you know, but it's still a lot of fun to watch and uh, we'll see how it all goes. And, 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 and the other thing, too, I didn't, I didn't necessarily like it at first, but now I like the one-game playoff. One game. Because there's been some very informal talk by some members of the national media about trying to lengthen that to a three-game series. But what do you like about the one game? I like the fact that, you know what, if you don't like the one game, win your division. Yeah. I, I like I like that. I, I, you know, when the best record, you get home field advantage, great. I like that. But the other part about it, I'm sorry, win your division if you don't like it. Um, and, and it makes it difficult, but it should be, I think, at that point. I think it should be harder than the other three teams that, that went out and won their division. So... You know, I know the argument's going to be the National League Central that you possibly could have the three best teams in the National League playing right. in the same division. But, yeah, you know, I, I think that will work itself out in the end, too. But I just I just like the fact that there is some importance on still winning your division. You think about the, uh, the wild card game. This year, the Pirates will probably have to face, well, maybe Jake Arrieta. Who could win? Who end up win, end up winning the National League Cy Young? Last mm-hmm. year, the Pirates had to face Madison Bumgarner, mm-hmm. which they lost, even though it was in Pittsburgh. And the year before that, they had to face Johnny Cueto. I mean, that's that, to me that is the the definition of what makes that one game playoff so difficult. Is you're facing uh, three premier pitchers in three different years. That's Look, a pretty tough hurdle to and, get over. And and, and I, I get it. You know, you know, right in the booth next to me, I, I've been through it. Okay, I, I mean. In the season tied, all of a sudden, it's us and the Angels. You have Langston and Randy Johnson going at it to get into the postseason. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and, and, and fortunately fortunately for us, we ended up winning that game. 
But you know what? It kind of put us behind the eight ball the rest of the way because now Randy isn't going to pitch two games in a five-game series. Right. You have to figure those things out. We were able to survive New York. It was a miracle. Then you get into Cleveland. And, you know, I, I just I'm, I, I don't feel sorry for those clubs. It's too bad. Win your, no, absolutely. You know, win your division. But at the same time, um, you know, the Pirates, they have pitching too. What about St. Louis and where they're at now? Yeah. They're, hopefully they get, uh, you know, Wainwright will be in the bullpen, but they've been just decimated all year long. But And again, with uh, Martinez. Right. I mean, you know, it's... It's tough. Sometimes it's really tough. We just talked about the Angels. They've lost their eighth and ninth inning guys out of their bullpen. Takes a little restructuring. Houston Streets leading the league in saves. I mean, it's it's tough. But you, you, you nobody's going to cry about it or care. You have to move on. I love I love that part of the thing. I, I agree. I, I mean, agree. and I think the, and I think I, I would think that the fans, you know, maybe if unless you're in the city that loses the one game, right? Playoff, but I think the fans love it too across baseball. Though everybody's going to watch those one game. Oh, you have to. You have to. It's incredible. If you're a fan at all, you're going to love it. And, of course, a big part of that race, the Angels just a half game back. And a big reason why is what happened over the weekend against the Mariners. The Angels sweep the Mariners. But game two of the series, Mike Trout, he turned in this. Here's the set by Heaney and the 2-2 pitch on the way. Swing and a high fly ball deep straightaway center field. Going back, Trout to the one. He tracked to the wall, leaps up, and he makes the catch. Holy smokes! Trout had to be five feet over the wall in straightaway center field. You talk about Spider-Man, Superman, roll them all up, and you have Mike Trout. An unbelievable catch, Robbie Montero, of a three-run home run. Trout climbing the wall in straightaway center field. Holy smokes, what a catch. One out for the Mariners here in the top of the fourth. And Trout has a standing ovation from the crowd here at the Big A. That is one of the greatest catches you will ever see. It was really amazing. His belt buckle even with the top of the wall as he went up and snared the three-run home run. And unfortunately, he probably robbed Felix Hernandez of winning his 19th game and his chance of winning 20 games this year. But... An amazing, amazing catch, especially when you see it in person, how much ground he had to cover to get there. It was just incredible. And here's what Mike Trout had to say about that catch. Off the bat, I thought it was going to be going pretty good, but I uh, just got to the toe myself, get to the wall, and uh, you know, I climbed it, and just everything worked out perfectly. You know, perfect timing. Yeah, the timing has to be perfect, hitting that wall at the right time. And everything. Was that the best catch you've ever made? Uh, obviously, the one in, the one at Baltimore was pretty sick, but um, I think that was probably the best best one I've ever felt. You know, just timing wise, everything had happened uh, you know so perfectly, and you know I just caught it. At one point, did you think you had a chance to make that catch? Yeah, once I got up to on top of the wall, and I looked back up at it, and I uh, just figured you know I had a chance to catch it, and you know I just reached out and caught it. How did you get that high? I mean, first of all, you got to great leaping ability then did you push yourself off the top yeah, of the wall? Like, you know uh the wall's kind of soft at the top so i kind of like you know use my arm a little bit to get more extension and you know just win the glove after you get that high and you made the catch what does the earth look like from that fire <laughs> above the ground yeah i was just happy i called it um you know it's just a big play for our team and you know it's uh it's a pretty cool catch it was fun in the post game show kind of just reliving some of the greatest catches that we've seen a lot of you tweeting in uh, at Gary Hill Jr. along the way, talking about 
you know, the, the Griffey catches through the years and just all sorts of, you know, Jim, Ed, Jim Edmonds and Andy Chavez and just going through the list of amazing catches, even Jay Buhner in Boston, or Griffey in Boston for that matter. But it, it was fun. Uh, people sending me their favorite catches and also linking them. So during the postgame show for an hour, I was just going through one after another of some of the greatest catches that uh, we've seen through the years, but that was fun. And then after the ball game kind of kicked around, uh, or it gets the pregame show the next day, kind of kicked around that catch and where it stacked up. Uh, Rick, that was fantastic. You were able to catch up with Trout today in the clubhouse. That was, you know, it almost sounded like a comedy routine because there's nobody else in the game right now who can compare that catch to maybe being better than another catch that I've made. That's remarkable. I mean, he is so natural of what he does, and it's just something that he normally does. He, he races back, gets to the wall. He's made so many great catches already, and there was a certain point on the flight of the ball that he thought, you know, I can get this thing, but I've got to get to the top of the wall. Half his body was above the wall in center field. Then he pushes himself off the top of the wall. You heard him say, oh, it's soft up there, like we would all know what it's like on top of that center field wall. But it was truly one of the most spectacular catches we have ever seen. And this kid is going to make more of those catches because he has the ability to do that, Mike. Well, he does. I, I mean, obviously, we saw yesterday that was it was something special to see that. I think, what, what, and I thought about this a lot over the course of the evening and even this morning um, when you talk about great catches. And I think that one of the elements, and this is something that I was talking to Tim Salmon about, used to play right field here for a lot of years. And he said that, and he, he brought up Junior, and he brought up Kenny Lofton, uh, some guys that could, could bring the ball back in the ballpark. And he said that he thought that maybe it was because of the position the Angels are in and the timing of it, and if the Mariners end up beating them last night, what that may, may do yeah. to their playoff hopes, and they end up winning the game in the bottom of the ninth inning. And so I think you put all of that in there, it's pretty special. And then you know, the other thing I was talking to him about is – I've seen a lot of guys, and Tim was even saying, he goes, as an outfielder, you try to practice those kind of catches all the time in batting practice. He goes, and it's rarer that you ever pull it off. He said, because once you get up on the wall, if you're able to time it right and use that momentum to pull yourself up on top of the wall, the, 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 the chances of you being dead center of the ball and it not being left or right of you yeah. is pretty rare. So the timing of it and the route that he took, everything was perfect on that. Um, and so I started thinking about Junior, and I think that the one catch, and it's, it's a different kind of catch, but I think is, is the greatest catch that I've seen, was when he, he broke his wrist. Because I, I was standing on the field watching Kevin Bass hit that ball out to right center field and watching Junior run straight across the outfield, thinking there's no chance he's going to get there, and to jump in the air full speed, catch that ball literally inches before it hits the wall, and him doing the Spider-Man thing, hitting that wall and falling on the ground and breaking his wrist. That was one of the greatest catches because I really I had a great angle on it being at third, and you, there was no chance he was going to catch that ball. And, and to know that he was going to literally have to slam his body into it, risk everything right. to make that catch, and it, it was a lot. It cost us three months, I guess, of, of when he was out. It was a pretty great catch too, but that was a phenomenal catch that he made last night. Absolutely phenomenal, and you point out the great thing because everybody's talking about the greatest catches they've seen, and they're remembering catches up and over the wall, but there are so many different. The Superman catches can be almost as impressive. You see guys going into stands. You saw Jay Buhner go over and into a bullpen 
yeah, in, in Boston. Boston. Mm-hmm. And, and so just the you know, effort level, uh, I think, absolutely goes into it. But to see Mike Trout, just it was funny because it was one of those where you looked at it and you would think never because the first thing you did was you heard the ball. You heard how hard it was hit. And then you saw how high it was. And then you saw Mike Trout start to run backwards, and that's when it was, uh-oh. And while Jesus Montero said he all of a sudden remembered, he forgot for a second who was out there, and then remembered who it was, just kind of that realization. There aren't many guys that you can think of who would actually have a shot at something like that. And one guy who was pretty sure about it was on the base pass and Mark Trumbo. He'd seen it before. And he said, oh, yeah, no, it wasn't out of the question by any long shot that he would be able to make that play in his mind. Yeah, there's not too many guys in the game right now that can remind us of Ken Griffey Jr. You know, as great as Jr. was for, what, 20 years in the big leagues. And the catch that I always remember was the one in Yankee Stadium uh, when he took a home run away from Jesse Barfield out in left center field, had a long way to go, right foot on the wall, over the wall, making the catch on the dead run to me is still one of the greatest catches uh, I've ever seen. I was there for that. That would have been Barfield's third home run of the game, yeah, by the way. Yeah. And the thing that, that when you talk about that, the thing that, and this is something that was when I first got Ken Griffey Jr., is the smile on his face when he came running back in towards the field <laughs> yeah. after he made that catch. That pretty much lasted the rest of his career. Thank you, guys. Boy, anytime you can say that it might be one of the best catches ever, it's one of the best catches ever. It doesn't need to be the best. It's up there in the conversation. That was incredible. Man, if the Angels pry themselves into the playoffs, you could almost directly point to that catch as helping them get in. That was truly amazing. Speaking of amazing, right now we're going to hand things off to Rick Griffin. He's with Taiwan Walker. It is time for Bullpen Banter. Hello, everybody. It's Bullpen Banter. We're here today on a beautiful Sunday in Anaheim getting ready to play the Angels. And today's guest, for the last time for Rick Griffin, filling in for Charlie Furbush, is Mr. Taiwan Walker. Now that you've had an opportunity to be in the big leagues for over a year, which of the cities in the American League is your favorite city? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Toronto. I like it just... Kind of reminds me of Seattle. It's nice, clean, a bunch of stuff to do, shopping. And I think the best part is my phone's not on, so I don't really have to talk to anyone. <laughs> I agree with that. That's great. It's a wonderful thing when the phone doesn't work up there. A lot of people may not know this. I'm going to have you comment about this a little bit. When you were in high school, you were a very good basketball player. And you made a decision to almost go and play overseas and not play baseball. So would you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Well, basketball has always been my favorite sport. I don't know. I just I got a bunch of offers for baseball, and I got a really good opportunity to come play for the Mariners. You know, I got selected first round, and not too many people will get the opportunity. And um, so, you know, I, just, I took it, and um, I definitely don't regret it. It's weird because after I signed, like a week later, I had got offered to play in the Philippines. And being a same material kid and just coming out of high school, it's either, you know, basketball or baseball and I chose baseball first and I was like ah you know like do I say all right guys here here's everything back you know I'm gonna play basketball instead I stuck with baseball and um, I'm glad I did because I don't know if uh, if my knees could hold up for basketball I don't know that's <laughs> a lot of jumping and, and wear and tear and stuff yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you chose baseball as well do you think other teammates that you have on this team is there anybody on this team that if they played you one-on-one to 11 that would beat you there's no one that would beat me but Stephen Romero is 
the second best player on the team, but he won't beat me. There's no one on the team that can beat me. I don't know if anyone in MLB can beat me. R Rick Riz couldn't beat you? I mean, I could jump over him standing <laughs> up, so I don't, I, I, mean, I don't know. And uh, it's funny, too, because Lloyd always be talking a bunch of crap, you know, saying he can beat me, but him and Rick are about the same height, so uh, I don't know. I don't know how successful he'll, he'll be uh, facing me, so. Well, that, that would be fun. I, th I think you should play Felix sometime. I'd like to see that. Felix seems to think he's pretty good at basketball. You've had a great year this year. You've had 11 wins, come out of spring training, having a phenomenal spring, and you've carried it through the whole year. And what are you looking for, and what are your focuses for the off season? Work out, do some yoga, try to stay flexible, and a lot of golf. I think it's the biggest thing. I'm just going to golf a lot as much as possible. And, I mean, that's pretty much it. You know, That's pretty much all you do as a starting pitcher is just work out and and golf, I guess. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. Now, you're going to spend a lot of time in Seattle all this offseason. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll be in Seattle half, half the year. I'm trying to I'm gonna try to go and play uh, Chambers Bay and uh, TPC, uh, Snoqualmie and stuff like that. Um, just try to get around and play, play some good courses. Great. What was the first car that you owned or the first car that you drove around in? First car was, I want to say, a 97 Isuzu Trooper. My basketball coach sold to me for $300. And uh, and that was the first car I had, and I was driving around my senior high school. I still have it, too. A couple of years down the road, I'm going to just deck it all out, put some speakers in it, big rims and stuff, and just, <laughs> just drive that around Seattle. And so if you see, like, a, a really old car with some big rims, that's, that's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> the Zuzu Trooper, what's your favorite holiday? Christmas. I like Christmas. Uh, Christmas just because I like to eat. We make tamales, and my brother bakes all these cookies and goodies, and we just have a bunch of food. I mean, I just like hanging out with my family and just, just enjoying, enjoying life pretty much. Really the only escape from baseball where no one really talks about baseball or talk about anything. You know, hanging out, playing board games, and uh, just staying up late, having a good time. If you weren't a pitcher, I've seen you hit a couple of interleague games, you have a good swing. If you were not a pitcher, which position do you think you'd like to play? Now remember, you're you're growing and you're you're getting bigger now. So please don't say shortstop because that's that's not going to happen. I was going to. There's some big shortstops though, but I was going to say shortstop. Being a pitcher, we have to shag three or four groups every day, and so my outfield skills have gotten pretty good. So I think center field would probably be a good spot for me. I, mean, I can I can really track some balls down. I got a pretty good arm, so you could probably do that. That'd be all right. In the off season, you're looking for something to do and you're a little bored. Which game do you like to play the most? Which board game? Not a video game. Which board game do you like to play the most? It's a game called Trains. Play with a bunch of dominoes. That's probably my, my favorite game. I play with my family all the time. It's funny because we get so competitive. And it's one of those games where, you know, you can be good friends with someone. And, you know, like, oh, I'm going to help you out. And then when you need something, you have to pretty much make a move to save your life and everyone starts getting mad at you and it just gets real intense and everyone just and uh i just like that's fun i just think it's fun you know it's like oh it's real nice and then like towards the end everyone's yelling at each other screaming at each other but i, I like that yeah that's a fun game i've actually played that over my cabin with, with uh, jay buner and some of our guys over there after we get done fishing so and it, it can get very competitive well thank you very much for joining the show today continued success this off season and look forward to next year we will all look forward to hearing charlie furbush next weekend on the final edition of Bullpen Banter. See you later! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.